Good morning, everybody. Let's turn once more to Romans 8. We uh, are so grateful to be here today together. And in case you didn't see the message that was sent out earlier, um, our sister Beryl is now with the Lord. She has gone to be with the Lord early this morning. We heard from her daughter, Andy. And as I said in the message was sent out, it's really with joy and sorrow mixed. There's joy and sorrow mixed because we know from talking to her, this was her heart's desire to be with the Lord. And not just over the last week or so, but for the past many years. And in fact, in a way, ever since coming to know Him, her heart has been drawing her to the Lord, and now she is in His presence. What an amazing thought that she who was growing more feeble in body is now with the Lord, never to be separated again. She whose sight had begun to dim physically, we know that now she sees Him face to face, and in seeing Him is perfected, uh, made like Him. What a beautiful thought this morning. But at the same time, there is a measure of sorrow because we'll miss her. And even when we're reminded of uh, death, reminded of sorrowful things, this can really weigh heavily on our heart. And we've been talking even in our Sunday school time about some of the sorrows that the saints have passed through over these past couple of years. And so I thought it's, we could look briefly at these three questions in Romans 8 when we are faced with the sorrows of this world, when we're faced with heaviness or things that are hard to understand we can have these three questions in mind. And these are not questions that we ask necessarily for an answer. These three questions are called rhetorical questions, right? And so um, I could just, not that we're having a lesson here, but a rhetorical question is not a question that you ask because you're interested in getting the answer. It's a question that you ask in order to make an argument, in order to prove something. It's a question that you ask that the answer is so obvious that it sways the heart of any who might be doubting. And that's what Paul is doing in Romans 8. As he gets to the end of this glorious chapter where he said beautiful things about being the children of God, about the glory that will be revealed in the children of God, Beautiful things about how all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Beautiful things about the eternal purposes of God. When He gets to the end, He, in a way, turns to His audience and asks these three rhetorical questions. And I think there are good ones for us to remember and to meditate on and reflect on. You know the answers to these questions. But there's a difference between knowing the answer and living in light of that answer. 
And so, let's just look at them one by one. Verse 31, Paul turns and says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? What a question. If God is for us, who could be against us? And that is a question. Of course, we know the answer is no one. No one is stronger than God. No one is able to bring all their forces to bear and reverse the will of God. And so Paul says, is God for you? Is God for us? He says in verse 32, and this is what we've been occupied with in some of our hymns today. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, is God for you? The proof is in the cross. If he was willing to give his son to gain you, don't you think he's on your team? Don't you think he's in your corner? So when struggles come, and they will, when doubts come, when it seems like everything is against you, remember, everything may be against you except one thing, God. And if everything in the world was on the other team, and you and God were the only things left, that is still a winning equation. That's a still a winning team. If God is for us, no one can be against us. No one and no thing. So as we remember in the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine this morning, as we remember the giving of the Lord Jesus, that unmeasurable gift, let's be confident that God is for us. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect or chosen? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's a really interesting question. All throughout Scripture, the one who is presented as the accuser of the brethren is the enemy, Satan. And Satan and his minions and those who are under his influence often throughout history have attempted to bring a charge against God's people. I'm reminded of somebody like Haman who um, in the book of Esther would try to really get the powerful king turned against the people of God. This is an example of bringing a charge against God's chosen or His elect. But Paul is confident. Here's Paul, one who has faced many trials, one who was, has spent much time behind bars, had many people accusing him, but he basically said, none of those accusations could ever stand in the court of God. How do I know? Because He is the judge and the Lord Jesus is my advocate. Who's going to win in that kind of court? You know, no one can bring a charge against you or against me that would ever stand in the court of God. 
Not because you're so great. Not because I'm so perfect. But because the trial has already been accomplished. The Lord Jesus bore the penalty for our sins. No one can bring any more charge against you. We could say, like the Lord said to uh, the, uh, the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. In other words, not just the ones you, you committed last year, but the ones that you will commit. There's nothing you can do that would ever stand in the court of God's law against you. And that's important because there are times, even when we're faced by troubling news, maybe the death of a loved one, or just a reminder of our own mortality, we can still feel those doubts creep in. Does God still love me? Is there anything, maybe I'm, I've done something and I've, I've messed up really badly, and Satan comes and he's always good at reminding us of those weaknesses and those failures. Oh, you think you're a child of God. Is that the way a child of God would behave? And he kind of leaves us to fill in the blanks. He attempts to bring charges all the time. And even our own voices inside our heads can run us down. You know, I'm bad about that. I'm bad about speaking negatively to myself. And maybe that's true for some of you. I need to, like Diane always reminds me, I need to preach the gospel to myself. You know, I need to remind myself, no one can bring a charge against me because God, what's, what's his evidence? Basically, he says, if God is the one who justifies, who's to condemn? Nobody. The only one who could condemn me is who? Jesus, right? He's the only one who's qualified, who's authorized to condemn me. And what is the promise I have? He has now ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of God. And instead of accusing me, He's interceding for me. The only one who could bring a charge against me is instead pleading my case. (laughs) Defending me against charge. What a beautiful thought. And one day, I will see Him. And I'll be with Him. I have that promise there in the presence of God. And then the third and final question Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is the most important one. Because if we don't feel loved by God, if we don't know that we are loved, held in the love of Christ, we can't live a life of power. We can't live a life to the glory of God because we'll constantly be trying to earn love. This is what happens to the person without God. They're living their life trying to gain love, belonging, and acceptance. And they do it in many ways. I've done it too. They try to earn favor with their workplace. They try to find their identity there. They try to get some person to love them. And, they, and sometimes they are winning, sometimes they're losing. But that is a losing battle. Once you know you're loved by Christ and nothing can separate you, this is true freedom. And when the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The freedom comes in knowing that you are loved with that great love. And nothing can separate you. And if anyone had cause to think maybe he's starting to 
feel a little separated from the love of God in Christ, it would be Paul. But as those stones fell on him, we know that he knew these stones can't separate me from the love of Christ. When he was shipwrecked and floating out at sea, sure that he was going to die, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure no doubt in his head that he wasn't going to make it, right? He did make it. But I know that what was going through his mind is this can't separate me. God is just as much here in the middle of the ocean as he was when I'm sitting in the home of my beloved brethren, right? And so nothing can separate him. He's here with us now, but he's also there in the darkness when those questions come, when you're feeling physical pain, when you're suffering in the body, when someone has wounded you and hurt you, when someone has rejected you or betrayed you, the Lord Jesus is there too. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ our Lord. You know, he says, quoting from the psalm, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And if you read that passage, it's a passage that was troubling for the psalmist. The psalmist was looking at his circumstances, saying, are we really the people of God? Does he, is this what it looks like to be loved by God? But Paul goes right there to the darkest of psalms to say there's nothing that can separate you. Death? What can death do? What can death do? Death becomes our servant, ushering us into the presence of God. It may not feel like it now, but the best day that you will have on this earth is your last one. That's all you have to look forward to. We have nothing to fear. And so Paul ends with this beautiful litany. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, depth, anything in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May this be our confidence today and forever. May this Romans 8, this beautiful chapter, anchor our souls in the love of God that we might be able to plow forward, march forward in His strength to face whatever comes for His namesake.